What can get us to the place where from the depths of our souls we'll say, I can give thanks forever? Maybe it's like my favorite cook, whether it's my mom or some chef somewhere or your spouse would cook every meal for me for the rest of my life. I will give thanks forever if that's the way. If there would be no more winter or humidity in Wisconsin, I would give thanks forever. If Brett Favre would never throw another interception pass in the playoffs, I would give thanks forever. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's happening, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man, rejoice yesterday. I think that's why people were standing for an ovation for five minutes. Yay, no more interceptions. Okay, sorry. I, sorry. I like Brett Favre. Yes, uh, Brent is amazing. Mm. But really, how do we get to a place where our lives are reoriented to a place of thanksgiving? Where that is coming from the depths of who we are. How do we get to that place? Uh, Bono, the lead singer for U2, he was uh, doing like his Americana tour. So he was throughout the southeastern United States trying to pick up blues and country and all these things. And uh, one of his trips uh, was uh, to see Johnny Cash. And uh, so Johnny had uh, Bono and some of the band members over for dinner. And before dinner, uh, uh, Johnny Cash said, uh, let's bow our heads. And he prayed this prayer. And Bono said later, is one of the most poetic and beautiful prayers I've ever heard of Thanksgiving. And uh, after the prayer was done, uh, uh, Johnny Cash kind of saw that these uh, guys were kind of in shock of uh, this kind of prayer could come from this man. And uh, trying not to look like some pious guy, and these guys are like, whoa, who is this dude? He, right when he got done with the prayer, he said, I sure do miss the drugs though. <laughs> you see, Johnny knew that the place of thanksgiving came from a place of grace. And that is what allowed him to pray such a prayer. And I think that's what I want to argue today. What enables us to give thanks to God forever? I think is this. That through His mercy, He has rescued us from the pit. The ability for us to give thanks to God forever is by acknowledging His mercy that has rescued us from the pit. And we're going to see that thanksgiving in this psalm this morning as we look at Psalm 30 together. So let's together turn to Psalm 30 and pay attention uh, to God's uh, word this morning. A psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord. O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. 
As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. And by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Let it shape us, let it mold us, let us have songs that go on forever to you. In your son's name, amen. Well, if you're just joining us, uh, like I've said, we're going through the book of Psalms. And uh, the Psalms are kind of uh, interesting, unique in kind of the genre of the Bible, uh, that they span a thousand years of time. Uh, a large portion of Israel's history, all the way from Moses to the exile. And really, it's uh, poetry. It's not written as prose or narrative or law. It's poetry. And this poetry is separated into 150 different units that are pretty distinct, every single one. And really, this poetry are songs to God. They're the worship of Israel as This Psalm 30 says, a Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. temple. And so what I've said before, and I'll probably say it every week, is that uh, this is Israel's mixtape. No, this is what they pop in the car, roll down the windows, and rejoice and sing. But like any good mixtape, if you put together a mixtape, you got to have different styles within the mix. And that's what the Psalms do. One of the songs, a lot of the songs in the Psalms, are Psalms of praise. And we've gone through that. Psalm 20, Psalm 92, Psalm 98. And these are the songs that the windows are down, that you're blaring, that people look over and go, what are you doing? Because you're singing, Roxanne! You know, things like that. I gotta say it just for Roxanne. Roxanne, I love that. But I love that song. And I will roll down the window and I will sing that song. You know, it's those kind of songs. And then there's the Psalms of Lament, the Tracy Chapman songs, you know, Psalm 4, 42, and 43, the Psalms that make you cry, that make you think of that old girlfriend that dumped you, whatever it might be, Psalms of Lament. And then today, Psalms that we have not seen yet that we're going to get to is the Psalms of Thanksgiving. These are what I call the biographical and autobiographical songs. They're the James Taylor songs, the Simon and Garfunkel songs, the Bob Dylan songs, you know, bridge over troubled waters kind of style, you know? Ones that say, man, I've lived a tough life, but it's going to be fine. You know, that's totally 60s counterculture, right? So it's going to be fine. I lived a tough life. That's the Psalms of Thanksgiving. Walter Brueggemann orients the Psalms very well. He says, the Psalms of praise are Psalms of orientation. They praise God for his character. They orientate us to how we are supposed to be to God. 
Psalms of praise are psalms of orientation. Psalms of lament are psalms of disorientation. Where we say, I don't know what's up. I don't know what's down. I'm looking for something to hang on to. Psalms of praise, orientation. Psalms of lament, disorientation. But the psalms of thanksgiving are songs of reorientation. They bounce between praise and lament. And they finally put us back to the reality of this life is hard. To the reality that God loves us. Back and forth to a place where we say, I have a renewed hope in God. They are the psalms of reorientation. And I would argue there's probably some of the best psalms of preaching the grace and mercy that has come from God. His ability that he has taken a world that has been broken and then has renewed it. He's taken people that have been broken and have renewed them. That is what the Psalms of Thanksgiving do. See, it's very similar when we look at the Psalms of Thanksgiving that we can see elements of praise, which makes sense because the very Hebrew word pray, Thanksgiving comes from the Hebrew word praise. And also because Psalms of Thanksgiving praise God for what he has done for us. And when we praise God for what he has done for us, we start to acknowledge the character of who God is. So, why we see praise within Psalms of Thanksgiving. Also, we see elements of lament. Why? Because it moves the psalmist from the place he was, a place of lament, a place of sin, a place of the pit, and he moves it to a place of praise. So again, it's that movement between praise and lament, so we are reorientated to how we should really be shaped and be under the Lord. And my hope is from last week when we looked at a psalm of lament, and maybe some of you are singing that song, how do I move from a song of lament to a psalm of thanksgiving? How do I do that? And that's what we're going to try to figure out. I think it's important as you look at the Psalms specifically and think about Thanksgiving, is the Psalms aren't about writing a list. (laughs) This isn't the list of all the things that you should be thankful for. It isn't the, oh, I'm thankful for food, I'm thankful for my car, I'm thankful for these things. No, that's not the way the Psalmists work. See, instead, the Psalms of Thanksgiving, what the Psalmist is trying to do is trying to shape all of us. How does the very nature of who we are, our mind, our emotions, our will, how do they all give thanks together? How am I shaped by a life of thanksgiving? I mean, it's like this, my daughter Caroline. I can teach her, say thank you after dinner, or say thank you when someone gives you something. Say thank you when you do this or that. I constantly try to get her to say thank you and list the things that she should say thank you about. But what truly melts my heart is not when I'm reciting, oh, these are things you thank you for, is when she says thank you for the things that I've even said that she should say thank you for. And she does it all by herself where I've gone to ice cream with her and taken her out and I take her back home and I've not even thought about, oh yeah, I I took her out and that. And when she's done with her ice cream and she sits in the back and she says, Dad, 
thank you. Thanks for taking me to ice cream. Coming from a four-year-old, it just melts your heart. In the same way, that is what the psalmist is doing. He is coming from a place that from his very nature, from who he is, he is just emoting to God. Thank you. And that's the place he wants us to get. Here, listen, I love preaching narrative. I love preaching the gospels. I love preaching all these things. Because you know what? Like I said before, it's easy to talk about God. But the Psalms force us to talk to God. They force us to come from ourselves to say, thank you, no matter the circumstance. Will we be forced this summer to talk to God and pray the Psalms in our lives? That is my hope that we would. Well, how does this psalmist get there? How does he get to the place where he can sing praises to God forever? Well, verses 1 through 3 very clearly lay out the situation. Just briefly, just summarize it all up, what this psalm is all about. He's thankful to God because God has healed him. Again, verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. The very language in the Hebrew is the idea of drawing water from the well, insinuating that the psalmist was in the well in a dark place, and he needed to be drawn up from the well. And then also we say, O Lord, you brought me up uh, my soul from Sheol. That is the place of the underworld, darkness, separation, death. And here the psalmist is saying, I was at a place of death. And then you rescued me from this place. So the psalmist is talking about where he is. He is in a really, really bad place. Sickness, Death, who knows if it was actual physical sickness, whether it was being oppressed by enemies, whatever it might be, he was in a place close to death. And God rescued him. Now, I want to make a very clear illustration here. The Psalms are about honest dialogue between the people of God and God. And the dialogue is about whether God is faithful in his promises. Is his covenant true or not? What is a covenant? It's basically a promise made between two individuals. And in the old times, there was usually one that was the head of the covenant, the one that had the more power, the kingdom or king that was able to really protect. And here, God is that protector. And the rule is, if this lower people or this other nation um, abides or um, does what is told, then this king will protect them. And unlike other covenants at that time, uh, the initiators of the covenant weren't the um, weaker vessel, but instead the stronger one. It was God coming to Israel, God coming to people saying, I will protect you, I will save you, I will make this promise with you. Promise to give you life. Promise to save you. Promise to give you land. Promise to give you a way to live. And if you didn't know this, covenants are cut. Okay, It's made by blood. So if you don't abide by the covenant, the blood symbolizes you die. (laughs) You don't abide, you die. 
And that is the covenant that Israel has made with God. And here we are face to face with the reality of whether God's covenant will be true or not because the psalmist is facing death. His weakest point, the end of his life, God, is your promise true? Do you truly give life? Do you truly care for us? Are you truly one that rescues people from death? Are you that kind of God? And the psalmist has wrestled with God. He has seen that God is true. And now he gives thanksgiving to knowing that God is faithful to his promises and to his covenant. We'll get into this in a little bit more. But I think it's very important whenever looking at the Psalms, you have to look at it in the light of covenant or promise. You know, someone that sang uh, reorientation songs, someone that sang songs of, I've been in a bad place and then I've been rescued, and one that sung about death a lot and actually wore black wherever he went, who was he? Johnny Cash. Now remember, uh, many people used to say, man, Johnny, you seem to obsess about death a lot. You seem to talk about death a lot. And in response, um, he said this to his commentators, I'm not obsessed with death. I'm obsessed with living. The battle against the dark one and the clinging to the right one is what my life is all about. You see, do you believe that is what your life is all about? When you hear the words of covenant, the idea that I have to cling to a greater one, that if I don't, not in that right relationship, it could cause death, might seem very, very weird to you. But the truth is, all of us are clinging to something greater <laughs> and making promises with it, aren't we? Some of us are making us promises to work. If I slave myself for this job, if I work as hard as I can in this place, then I will have money. Then I will have meaning. Then my life will be worth something. So you've just made a covenant with that. Maybe you cry out to a certain individual, a relationship. If you just love me, if you just care for me, if you are just one that gives me what I need at certain times, then my life will be okay. And then we make a covenant with that person. We call that marriage, but when we call the covenant everything, we call it codependence. (laughs) The thing is, all of us make a covenant with something. The question is, Does the person we make a covenant with or the thing we make a covenant with, will it actually deliver when our life is on the line? Will it? And I want to ask a question of you. Does your thankfulness in life, does it come from knowing you have been rescued from the pit? Does your thankfulness come from a place knowing that you have been rescued from the pit. Where does your thankfulness come from? 
uh, thanks God for giving me more than the next guy next to me. (laughs) Thank you, God, that you gave me parents that let me have a good start in life. Thank you, God, for giving me a respite in my car or my baseball bat or my vacation home. Thank you for giving me that. My question is, will those things that you give thanks for be ones that you can thank forever? Will they? Because I'll tell you what happens when you don't have as much as the next guy. What happens when the start you got from your parents, you don't realize, oh, it's good enough uh, to make me actually succeed or your label of success? What happens when that car or the vacation home or whatever it might be fails you? Can you give those thanks? Can you give thanks to those things forever? And the psalmist is asking that question of you from verse 4 all the way to verse 12. The psalmist wants you to see that, he, that you should give that thanksgiving forever. And he's going to do that by sharing his personal testimony. So you see in verses 4 through 12, the psalmist is going to share what happened to him so he could get to the place where he was giving thanksgiving to God in verses 1 through 3. And you see in verse 4, he says, Sing praise to the Lord, O you his saints. And now he's calling to us. Will you join in worship with God? And when he says saints, he doesn't mean people that are dead. Instead, saints comes from the word um, has said, which means covenant love. And he's saying, you covenant people, you people that are in the covenant with God, you saints, will you too give thanksgiving like I do? Will you praise like this? Will you come under the authority of God? Will you praise And he worries about this. And he says, look what I've experienced. For his anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night. But joy comes with the morning. Psalmist is saying, listen, it might be piercing for some of you to admit your ways are not right. To come under the authority of God. To repent. To realize that he is the one that you have to come under. It might be painful. And it might cause tears. But truthfully, it will just be momentary. Because in the long run, it will last a lifetime. And truthfully, the new day will come where you will truly rejoice. And then he even goes on and he admits, I didn't want to go there. Verse 6 and verse 7. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. Saying he was in a place where he was thought he could sustain himself. I will be fine without God coming into my life. I'm doing just fine. In fact, I didn't even realize that my mountain was standing because God was making it stand in the first place. And here the psalmist is saying, this is also where I was. Move off this place. Though he professed Christ at age 12, 
Johnny Cash wrote in 1967, there was nothing left of me. I had drifted so far away from God in every stabilizing force in my life that I had felt that there was no hope. And this was at the peak of his music career. A Grammy Award winner, lots of number one hits. He was in a bad place. And he decided to crawl into Nickajack Cave on the Tennessee River. And he was just going to get lost and die. And he said, the absolute lack of light was appropriate, he wrote. My separation from him, God, the deepest and most ravaging of the various kind of loneliness I'd felt over the years, seemed finally complete. It wasn't. I thought I'd left him, but he hadn't left me. I felt something very powerful start to happen to me in that cave. A sensation of utter peace, clarity, in sobriety. Then my, my mind started to focus on God. I became conscious of a very clear, simple idea. I was not in charge of my own destiny. I was not in charge of my own death. Literally, Johnny Cash went into the pit, <laughs> went into the dark place, went into the cave to die. But in that place, he cried out to God and God rescued him and saved him. And Dan, why do you give me Johnny Cash examples? I don't do drugs. I didn't win a Grammy. I don't drown my sorrows in alcohol over and over again. But the truth is, all of us in some way show inattention to God. It might be through fame, it might be through drugs or alcohol, but many of us say like the psalmist, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. <laughs> By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountains stand strong. What is your inattention to God? Is it busyness? Is it care for family? Is it maintaining appearance? You know what? I'll be thankful as long as those things stay in orbit. But once they start to get out of orbit, ah, it's not going to be good, God. The thankfulness might end. And this is what the psalmist saw. End of verse 7. You hid your face and I was dismayed. Has God ever hid his face from you when you are thinking your world is uh, basically revolving around you? It happens in small things in Aaron and I's life, like um, our car key getting lost. It is the biggest pain in the butt. And we have schedules, places to go. I remember it was lost before we were going on a vacation, and we searched it for like five, six hours. So we couldn't go on the vacation until we found it. Our air conditioning goes out. I mean, we're like, oh my word, the world is, it's over. It's done. But truly, it might be God getting our attention. Saying, you know what? Your world does not revolve around you, but it revolves around me. And in fact, 
If you let your world revolve around me, you will truly be in a place of not momentary thankfulness, but everlasting thankfulness. And I I would love to say that when the car keys lost, my cries out to God are really great. They say things, I say things like, man, God, you are God. I am not. I extol you. I magnify you. I say that you are just amazing. No, I don't. And neither does the psalmist. This is so, so good. Look with you. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. Look at this logic. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Here the psalmist is saying, "Um, listen, if I die, you're going to have one less praiser. You don't want me to go, God, because I'm the one that helps you. I'm the one that magnifies your name. I'm the one that rejoices. Even the enemies rejoice if I die. You need me. Horrible logic. But it's what we do, which I love the Psalms. That's what we do. What happens when your world goes out of orbit in work or life, whatever it might be? What do you say? God, do you even care about me? Don't you realize I have important things to do? Don't you realize if I don't get this, I will not be able to do this for you? Don't you realize I'm trying to love my kids? It's really hard to do that in this moment. I'm trying to love my spouse, but they're not going along with the program. And the truth is, in our crying out, in that horrible logic. God is trying to finally get our attention where we would see that he is the one that controls all of our lives. That he is the one that wants to order everything. And he sees things in our marriage, in our kids, and how we spend our time that we are not able to see ourselves. Do you believe that? In the moment, probably not. But my hope is that in that moment, as you cry out those things, slowly you will be reorientated to what it means that God is merciful and mighty and he controls this world and he owns your life and he loves you. I encourage you to walk the line, a great movie, uh, probably good for people over the age of 18. You saw the same with Johnny Cash, sniveling, whining, suffering in these very places when he had so much money, his own house, everything he wanted, but he was a mess, crying out to God. God saved him, as you see from his moment in the cave, and he struck up a friendship with Billy Graham, and he told Billy Graham, I want to be an evangelist. I want to be like you. And Billy Graham said to Johnny Cash, "Um, brother, keep singing Folsom Prison. Keep singing those outlaw songs. Put your heart and soul in all that music. In fact, never compromise. Take no prisoners. And don't apologize for where you've been and where God has taken you. And Johnny Cash did. 
from Las Vegas to Billy Graham crusades to all over the place, he used to say, I'm the chief of sinners. As he sang Folsom Prison, right along a gospel song. I encourage you, in 2003, when uh, Johnny Cash had, his fame had basically gone, he hadn't put anything out good in a long, long time, he won multiple Grammys, had a number one hit song, had a music video that was labeled one of the greatest videos of all time. And the song was Hurt. And in the song, in the music video, it's, it's, it's just very fitting. I encourage you to look it up sometime. It's Johnny Cash sitting in his own museum, the Cash Museum, in this opulent chair with all his memorabilia around us, with all these things around, all this glory. And he sings these lyrics, and it just crescendos at the chorus line. What have I become, my friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt, but I will let you down. And so as he sings this empire of dirt lyric over all his glory, he takes this glass of wine and he just pours it over it. What is it worth? It is worth nothing. We say, I'm not writing Grammy songs. (laughs) I'm not preaching on Sunday morning. But do you say to those around you, I am thankful and I am blessed. But do you take it one step further? I hear this all the time. I'm blessed, right? Isn't that the, the thing nowadays? Blessed, right? Hashtag blessed, right? Whatever it might be. Why are you blessed? Do you tell people why you are blessed? Do you see what the psalmist says? Verse 12. That my glory, which really means my soul in the Hebrew, that my soul may sing your praise and not be silent. What song do you sing to those around you? God has clothed me. He has forgiven me. He has rescued me from the pit and he has saved me. And I sing a song of thanksgiving that does not just last for a day, but lasts for eternity. Do you sing that song to those that are around you? Do you say that to those? Oh, it seems like you're tired today. It seems like you're not doing well. You can say, yeah, you know, I am tired. You know what? I am having a rough go at things right now. But you know what? I'm blessed. Because I tell you, I will sing a song that will last forever. Because God has rescued me from death and has brought me to life. You say, Dan, I've heard this over and over again. You've said this over and over again. I know I have. I probably say it every single week. But the truth is, 
The psalmist is trying to say, I want it to come from your very soul. That this would, you would admit this is where you are. The truth is most of us are in verse 6 and 7. Where we say, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. Maybe some of you need to see that your mountain is formed by God. That your very standing is upon Him. That there will come a day where you will be in the pit and at death and you will have to say to God, you are the one that receives glory and honor. Only you will receive thanksgiving forever and ever. Amen. Johnny Cash was on Larry King. And Larry King was grilling him about um, death too and why he wears black. And this is what Johnny Cash said. He says, I'm thrilled to death with life. Life is the way God has given it to me. It was just a platter, a golden platter of life laid out there for me. It's been beautiful. He said, my life verse is Romans 8.13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Look with me, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. It can also be interpreted this way. His favor, and his favor is life. For his anger is but for a moment, or in his favor is life. I don't know, Dan, if I can sing a song of thanksgiving forever. I, I, I don't know if I can do that. My life is not really a song of thanksgiving. And there are moments that I can't sing of that forever. It's just, I, I don't like those worship songs that say, I will sing of your love forever. I don't like those songs because um, I'm a Presbyterian and I think I'm always messed up, right? Sin is always, always there, right? Depravity. But the truth is, the psalmist say that. I will give thanks to you forever. How can the psalmist say that? How can any of us say that when the day will come where we will be in the pit and we will die? It's because of this. There is one other person that sang this psalm. There is one person that sang this psalm to God. He says, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You rescued me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Instead, he received no rescue at that moment. Instead, he went down to Sheol. He went down to the pit. He went down to death. In fact, he was the one that took our broken covenant, right? What does our covenant deserve? Death. We broke it. And so did this psalmist. So what was the restitution for it? 
God himself took the restitution upon himself by sacrificing his son, letting his blood come forth so that we might have life. So that we might say, I will be rescued from the pit. I will be rescued from Sheol. I will sing of your thanks forever because there is one that is interceding for me next to you in heaven that is saying, you are forgiven. And so when that song comes up at church, or the moment in life where I can't say, I will sing of your thanksgiving forever, I go, Jesus, thank you for singing that song over me forever. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Do you have faith in that one? Have you repented and trusted in him? Some of you might have made that commitment at age 12 like Johnny Cash and maybe you haven't thought about it for a long, long time. And maybe you are in the pit. Maybe you are in the cave and you need to come to that place with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful for your mercy. We are thankful that we can sing of your praise forever because of your son and what he has done for us. God, let that be our song. Let it be one that people hear around us. Let us dance it to those that are in our midst. In your son's name, amen.